for it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I'm I'm Noah Scott, uh, and I am thrilled because <laughs> so I realize I never say my name when we do this. This is like a recent like thing that I've. Well, you're like the person that goes without saying. Like everyone knows who Noah is. <laughs> you know who knows who Noah is is uh, Mookie Betts. Apparently, oh, we got to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, Don't you we'll worry. Talk about it at the end, uh, but I am thrilled to reintroduce my. What is this word you put here? Lugru, lugubrious, lugubrious, absolutely. Lugubrious. Uh, co-host Brandon Riddle to the show. What does that mean? Um, so yeah, it means sad, which Aww. makes sense. So I'm in. Sure. Aww, hey, man. folks, that's me. <laughs> um, but so this isn't a sad episode because it's actually kind of a oddly happy episode. It's a special episode. It's marks the one full year since your favorite podcast, Short Hops and Tall Tales, has been launched on the Pictureless Podcast Network. So this is our one year anniversary. So I, I think we deserve like a pat on the back for that one. I'll uh I'll I'll put in I'll splice in some audience like clapping right here. That's all that's all I ask is oh, splicing in everywhere I go, applause, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like time has really flown by. I can't believe we've been doing this for a year. We've got this what our thirty fifth episode. Yeah, I, I and I guess this is about season two then. This is when we hit our sophomore slump and we become a lugubrious podcast. And we try to break out of it. Okay, okay. We'll we'll, we'll try and uh, try and get better as we as we go. <laughs> uh, Brandon, do you have a favorite story from from our first year <sighs> of Short Hops and Tall Tales? So so Noah asked me this literally like forty five seconds ago before the podcast began. Like, what do I do? I don't know. And then immediately <laughs> I knew it was the Macho Man Randy Savage episode. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Hands down. With the terrible impersonations that, and also, honestly, a lot didn't know of Macho Man in baseball. That was probably my favorite episode. And what about that, you? And and for those of you that are, are, you know, have not heard that episode, that is Short Hops number eleven. Uh, is Macho Man Savage? <laughs> my favorite episode that we've done, or my favorite story rather that we've done, is I think it's got to be Baseball on Ice, which I think was one of our very very the- first ones. 1879 i can't remember the two teams involved but yes it it is a magical moment yeah you wrote an article about it that's really good but i actually no that was that was the third episode that we released but that was actually our demo episode that we uh oh really first one we ever ever produced uh with trevor uh, so we we, we started high and then crashed after that (laughs) it's it's been wow very lugubrious today see yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh no i i'm really proud of of all the really fun stuff we've been able to dig up in the first year uh really uh boots poppenberger comes to mind yep yep boots um other players uh sure (laughs) others tbd to be named later they're there. They exist right now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, go check them out if you haven't done so yet. We've got a, a lot of fun uh, packed episodes uh, there. Um, before we moved into a packed episode tonight, though, we do have a very special announcement. Uh, Pitcherless Seven is out, which is super super exciting. That is the seventh iteration of Pitcherless, the fantasy baseball website, uh, featuring uh, a really sleek homepage. Uh, Brandon, have you checked it out yet? 
I have. Um, so I, I have my course, my home fantasy league, and every time I, every year I've used fantasy uh, pitcher list rather, I've won the league. And, and this wow. year really just steps it up. Like they, the information there, the details you get into is incredible. So everyone go look at it, um, except people in my fantasy league don't use it because <laughs> I want to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the player pages I was looking at a little bit earlier, and they look really, really cool. Nice uh, and, and sleek, yeah. A bunch of other stuff in there. We've got a whole podcast like section now where where our, our shows are listed. So please go check that out. It's a very very exciting time to be a, a Pitcherless subscriber, um, or just somebody who frequents that part of the internet. I suppose. Sure. Uh, but Brandon, what are we talking about here today on Short Hops and Tall Tales? Oh, so today is, of course, another great episode. And a year from now, we may look back at it and think, you know what? This episode is our favorite episode. <laughs> there we go. Because leading off, uh, of course, we have pickoff trivia. But we have one of my favorite players of all time, Rory Oswalt, a pitcher out of time, which is a wonderful title. Well done there. Thank you. So we get to talk about uh, Rory Oswalt there. Then we dive into the pickle jar, which, of course, is fabulous. And then we have something titled The Day the Spitter Died. We'll see what that's all about. I'm I'm excited because just funny enough, I was just researching. Uh, well, I don't want to want to step on your toes at all. I was just researching when the spitter and, and the emery ball got phased out of baseball, like literally last night. Yeah, and and, and I, I just thought about it this morning, and then I guess we'll get into it in a moment. But literally, this so we're recording this on February eighth. Um, the spitball was banned on February tenth of wow. a certain year. Yeah, so it just kind of lined up that way. It's kind of fun. Very cool. Uh, but before we get into it again, pickoff trivia. Oh boy! And, and so the way we decide pickoff trivia is basically who writes it down first. And today, <laughs> today happened to be me. So I will ask you, Noah, uh, what franchise has the most all-time wins? And I do have a, a hint, if you would like, as well. I don't think I need a hint as, as much as it pains me to admit. I, I, oh, I'm you know. Finally, you know that. I'm finally entering one of these pickoff trivias. I, I feel like between the two of us, we have to go back and and like start tallying up who's doing better in the trivia rounds. I feel like I, I think a really interesting stat track. I may have two. I, that I've actually yeah, yeah. gotten. No way. You, you, I feel like you blow me out of the water uh, usually because I because most of the time I feel like I just completely my mind goes blank. Uh, well, you're gonna get this one apparently. Who we got? Unfortunately, unfortunately, I think I know the answer to this one, and that is simply because uh, it's thrown at me a lot. Uh, by, by my friends. <laughs> and so the the question is right: which franchise has the most all time wins? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go with the New York slash San Francisco Giants. Bingo! That's yep. the one. Over. But how many of them are in the postseason? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Is that better or worse? <laughs> but they have 11,301 wins. They are ahead of the second place New York slash Los Angeles Dodgers. Really? Yeah. I, I would have thought the Yankees would have definitely been. Insane. No, man. The Yankees are in eighth place all time. They're behind. Oh, legitimately, guys, get ready for this. They're behind the Pirates. What? That must yeah. okay. Well, it also helps the Pirates were around 21 years before the Yankees. Yeah, that and they used to <laughs> and they had Honest Wagner in those those early years. They they did. And to be fair, the winning percentage is significantly lower than the Yankees. So there's that. But still, uh, this stuff yeah. be said about having most wins. Yeah. Wow. I mean, who would have thought uh, but uh, wow. giant fans apparently. I would have thought the Yankees would have been top 5. That's that's kind of blown Yeah, eights. 
Eight, man. Um, let me see. I mean, they definitely have, I uh, hate to say it, the best winning percentage of all time. But um, let's not talk about that. This isn't a Yankee podcast, folks. This is a baseball podcast where we appreciate what is good in the sport. And then if there's a Venn diagram, the Yankees are outside of that. So, um, so bro, you also speak, speaking of, I just went hard on that. I know. So chaotic. And we're like <laughs> not even 10 minutes into it. Roy Oswalt. <laughs> speaking of things that are good, Rory Oswalt, one of my favorite pitchers of all time. And I'm jealous that Noah gets to talk about it. So take it away. You could talk about him too. It's a back. And oh, I'll, I'll jump in there. Don't you worry. Um, but yeah, so Roy Oswalt. So most of the time, the stories we tell on short hops and tall tales are about players or events from the early days of baseball. Uh, and, we especially enjoy the ones that occur at the turn of the 20th century, right? When we're talking mm-hmm. about guys like Boots Poffenberger. When and uh, about- Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, yeah. 19, 1914. Who could forget? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one that, for all intents and purposes, should have occurred in, in that time span. Yet it actually takes place as late as 2013. Um, so... Enter Roy Oswalt, born August 29th in 1977 in Weir, Mississippi, uh, a very small uh, town with a population that's like about 500. Um, so Roy grew up. Uh, his father was a uh, lumberer, lumber, timberer, L- lumberer, lumberer? A, um, <laughs> a lumberjack, perhaps lumberjack. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> He lumbered around, yeah. Uh, and his mom, Jean, was a very serious baseball fan. So uh, Roy, uh, from you know his father's side of the family, also worked on his uh, grandfather's farm. He developed a very you know very strong body. Uh, but his mom, Jean, uh, actually passed her knowledge of baseball down to her three children, uh, Roy, and then his uh, siblings, Brian and Patricia. Uh, however, with no pro team in Mississippi at the time, Roy grew up an Atlanta fan. Now he was. Pretty small in high school. He was only 5'10", 150 pounds. Uh, but he could uh, dial it up to 80 miles per hour on the mound. Which for 5'10", man, that's 150 soak in the wet. That's intense. That's good. Yeah, that's 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 pretty solid. Uh, but, you know, he's in a town of like 500 people. Yeah. So it's it's not even really on this any scout's map, right? Uh, there were, for context, there were only 32 kids in his senior <laughs> class. Oh my goodness. Which is is wild. Uh however, his uh his high school football team is I think it was his senior year did win the state championship. So there's that. Um but so really he he had trouble, you know, being from such a small town getting that attention from teams, but he did get recruited to play at a local community college. Uh, there he caught the attention of just a single scout uh, from the Houston Astros organization. Uh, and because nobody knew about him, uh, he was actually drafted all the way down in the 23rd round, uh, you know, because the Astros figured that you know, they could wait on him. Sure. Uh, to this, so that was the 1996 draft. And to this day, he is the latest drafted player in terms of like round selection uh, to lead his class in career wins above replacement, which I think is very very interesting because you know all the way in the 23rd round he had you're down to the the bones there yeah which uh so off off the top of your head uh besides Roy Oswalt who's the latest drafted player that you know had an impact on the game well I now that I think about it I'll I'll get to that question in a second now that I think about it that seems kind of weird to me because I would have thought that Mike Piazza might have oh yeah you know because Piazza was late late yeah yeah so wait a minute 
But then again, Piazza might have just had another Hall of Fame talent in in his draft class that year. I don't know. We can we can figure that out. Um, but uh, sorry, what was your question? Uh, oh no! So you basically answered it. The the okay. the latest drafted player that have an impact on the league on the team, and yeah, Mike Piazza is a perfect answer. It's all we need. Okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, he, uh, he, he was actually known for, uh, when he was growing up because, uh, pitchers, a lot of the times, especially when they come from the stretch, you know, they line up their, uh, their drive leg, right. Their back leg parallel to mm-hmm. the rubber. Roy saw this and he was like, that doesn't really make much sense. Cause I'm trying to push off and really like spring at the batter. Uh, so he ended up going, uh, you know, keeping his feet perpendicular to the rubber, uh, kind of like a track. Uh, athlete yeah. would, would line up in the blocks uh, and so he ended up having these these kind of like odd mechanics and you know the Astros uh, once he gets to the minors they start to tinker him with him a little bit uh, now he does get off to a really hard start uh, excuse me a really hot start in minor league baseball uh, I think he went like you know seven in, in one or something ridiculous hey yeah but he's he's on fire right well then with these new mechanics his shoulder starts to hurt uh and you know it 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 very rapidly becomes an almost unmanageable situation uh you know they tried to address it nothing's really working and roy's now just you know taking a ton of painkillers just to suit up and pitch uh so he goes home in the summer of 1999 and enter one of my favorite baseball stories of all time take it away yeah and and this is exactly why we say like you know Roy Oswalt feels like a pitcher from you know a hundred years ago. You could put this story into any of those like fables or tall tales. That yeah, talk about here. Like if Roy Hobbs from the Natural faced off against Roy Oswalt, this would make complete sense. And even the names, baseball is funny that way. Yeah, uh, but we'll uh, we'll let Roy tell it. So this is directly uh, from you know him recanting the story. Uh, and he says, it was 1999, I'm at Class A Ball Midwest League, and my shoulder felt like it was torn. It hurt so much, I couldn't sleep at night, I had to take six Advil to go to sleep. It was just killing me. A month after I got home, after the playoffs, it was still killing me. There was definitely something torn. There's no way it can hurt this much with just tendonitis, I told my wife. I'm going to have to call the doctor. Then... I was outside working my truck, checking the spark plug wires. I grabbed this one spark plug wire and the truck started and the current just started shooting bolts through me. Now this made my <laughs> muscles and my hand tighten up so I can't let go of this thing. I was holding on to it for what felt like two days, but it was probably just a minute. I couldn't let go. Finally, my foot slipped off the bumper and I got thrown off. When I got up, my arm felt better. I went home and told my wife, you're never going to believe what just happened. And about a week later, I couldn't feel any pain in there at all. And I haven't since. Now, that's that's his story. But there's this this additional quote that goes with it that is hilarious. And it's from Roy. And he says, my truck done shocked the fire out of me and my arm don't hurt no more. Which is straight out of Boots Poffenberger's mouth. Uh, that's straight Boots Poffenberger. And, you know... Yeah, that second part definitely has that southern feel to it. But the the first story, had he elaborately told it, like I'm hearing like the natural theme song in my head, and this is the moment. This is like the the arm of God being thunderbolted into you. Zeus is granting your miracle, <laughs> and lo and behold, and it's it's so essentially, you know, he just electrocuted himself and he fixed whatever was going on in his shoulder, right? <laughs> and he and he just stopped feeling. Yeah, that pain, sure. It's just. 
you know, you, there's a lot of ways you can hurt yourself, you know, in, in doing odd things, but it's not often that you can actually like heal yourself. Heal yourself right? No, no, that shouldn't have worked, but somehow yeah. it did. Yeah, but the doctors told Oswald that the shock had loosened an impingement in his shoulder. It had like, you know, knocked some scar tissue. Fascinating. Right? Like it just it's it's wild. Uh and so now from here he's like, you know what? I'm done letting people mess with my mechanics. I'm gonna do it the way I wanted to. Uh so from there, Roy was back on, you know, the MLB track. He actually won a gold medal for Team USA in the two thousand Olympics in Sydney, Woo. Australia. Him and that uh, Ben Sheets read that led that rotation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then he went on to debut for the Astros in 2001 at age 23. Uh, had a phenomenal rookie season. He goes 14 and 3 with a 273 ERA, has an adjusted wow. ERA of 170. Which... And, and, and this is 2001 that we're talking about. This is like yeah. pure steroid era. And he puts up a 2.7 ERA as a rookie. Yeah, guys are sweating HGH and he's up here. <laughs> yeah. Up, right. Uh, like I said, he had a 170 ERA plus, which, you know, for those of you who aren't super familiar, 100 is is average. Uh, so if you need a rule of thumb, that's about yeah, basically better than the average pitcher that season, which is absurd. Uh, and he ends up finishing fifth in Cy Young voting uh, and second in rookie of the year voting. Uh, do you know who's number number one in rookie, it, of, the year voting? rookie of the year in what year? 2001. 2000. Oh, Ichiro. Uh, no, wait. In the AO. Yeah, yeah, Ichiro, you're right, Ichiro. Okay. Okay, so at this point, the Astros are in the National League. Right, right. Um, So in the National League Rookie of the Year in 2001, oh, this is, oh, I should know this. Uh, You're going to kick yourself. Oh, I know I'm going to kick myself. All right, just tell me who is it. Albert Pujols. Of course it's Pujols. Oh, he was a third baseman at the time too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Albert Pujols, uh, just one of the, you know, greatest hitters of all time. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, but that's you know goes to show you that Rook, uh, Roy Oswalt came out of the gates hot. Uh, for the next five seasons, he finished top five in Cy Young voting again. Oh man, which is unheard of for such a young pitcher. Uh, and then his second season, his sophomore year, he puts up seven wins above replacement at twenty four. And in two thousand two, this is a year after Bonds went for seventy plus. So like th- this guy. Like there's a reason why he's one of my favorite pitchers. He could just bring it, and he was fabulous to watch. Yeah, he had a really so that that was the thing. You see, he really found a lot of his success on the back of his really overpowering fastball, and then he threw this curveball that he he you know initially he was trying to get it to you know to turn into more of like a spiked curve something. Sure. Shorter. But yeah. Just the way it came out of his hand, it was so slow that that velocity differential going from the the really fast fastball to the you know more of a uh, you know loopy curveball, hitters couldn't couldn't you know figure him out because it's it's just so impo- it's so difficult for the human eye to differentiate between those pitches and make that decision. To yeah, I mean, uh, unless you're Tony Gwynn, you're not going to catch that. Okay, yeah, but Tony Gwynn is on on another. <laughs> As I said, unless yeah, <laughs> unless you're you know one of the greatest you know, the greatest hitters of all time, you're not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, that was absurd. I had no idea he put up seven WAR in his sophomore year. Uh, <sighs> yes. And then uh, the following season, he actually was a part of. He actually started a combined no hitter against the Yankees. Uh, this was 2003, and this is a great story in and of itself. Uh, so. <laughs> Great quote from Oswald here. He says, I walked out of the bullpen that night, you know, going to start the game, thinking that this may be the night I throw a no hitter. 
Which is, I'll continue and I'll, I'll have opinions after that. Say, that's just such an unhinged thing to say. <laughs> like, like, you know, just that, that you have to have that irrational confidence to be a major yeah. pitcher. And he was, he had it right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Oswald comes out of the, out of the bullpen and he's firing bullets, right? He's, he's setting them up and sitting them down uh, until he, injures his groin in the second inning like really badly uh and even his catcher was saying like this is like another level of Roy Oswald that I haven't seen right he's he's on another planet all well and good until Mm -hmm. he injures his groin right so then they have to go to the bullpen in only second inning uh and this is meanwhile this is you know the Yankees of 2003 they've got Derek Jeter they've got Alfonso Soriano like they have you know they're a loaded lineup coming off of uh you know the three-peat uh, or Posada, yeah yeah you know a couple of years before um so he hurts his groin and income he's followed up by Pete Monroe uh Kirk Sarlus uh, uh Brad Lidge Octavio Dotel and Billy Wagner which are Whew. those are some great names that's you know, a like great that, bullpen that 2000s nostalgia especially the last three uh i didn't know octavio dotel was on the astros but oh yeah every team so it it makes sense it's true uh and then this is great so billy wagner uh one of the greatest closers of all time he finishes the game off on a play at first base uh and he gets the last out and he looks around uh with the knowledge that hey we just finished off a no hitter sees nobody celebrating (laughs) like he looks over at his second base (laughs) nobody cares nobody cares they just no hit a team uh, that, that's an awkward situation because I mean, at to this point, this is six pitchers uh, compiled to throw a no hitter, which I believe was a record until I think the Rays got seven about ten years later. So yeah, I mean, the what do you do? Like this is unfounded territory. Yeah. So so Wagner he gets the last out and he's looking around. And he said, you know, some people had their arms up in the air. Other people were looking around wondering what to do. And then there's Jeff Kent looking at him like he was or actually sorry, this is Brad Lidge saying this. He says Jeff Kent is looking at Billy Wagner like he was crazy because Wagner's celebrating and Jeff Kent's like, I don't he's not he has no idea what's happening. And so uh, Kent ends up saying he's like, wow, you know, you guys get really excited about beating these Yankees. (laughs) And then Billy Wagner goes, you dumbass. We just threw a no hitter, (laughs) which is and you can't celebrate after being called out like that. So, oh, you're yeah. right. I'm gonna go back to my locker room. Well, well Wagner was <laughs> Wagner was a little a little bitter about it uh, because he's like it was a total buzzkill because he just completely. Oh yeah, I bet nobody has any idea. And it's so funny to me because, uh, you know, how are you in the field this whole time? You you're actually in the game every inning where the pitchers aren't, and, and you, <laughs> you have no idea that you've just thrown a no hitter. Like you're just standing at second base with like. You know, just picking it it dirt, <laughs> like, right? And especially Jeff Kent, who I think. Well, respect, to be fair, it was Jeff Kent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I don't know. I just found that a really hilarious aside when when researching uh, mm-hmm. Roy. But back to Roy. Uh, so he helps lead the Astros to their first World Series appearance in two thousand and five. Oh, uh, yeah. He had a dominant regular season again, uh, went 20 and 12, 294 ERA over 241.2 innings. Uh, and then he he's, you know, he so he helps them into the playoffs and then he does well in the NLDS. Uh, and then the championship, the excuse me, the championship series comes around and they're facing uh, the Cardinals. So Roy gets on the mound, he pitches game two and he pitches the deciding game six. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, so, sorry. So I was looking ahead and I haven't read the notes before, uh, but he was talking about it. And then he has a, a, a question coming up. So I'll let him get there because okay. I was just racking my brain. I think I got it. Yeah. So he, uh, so Roy just dominates the Cardinals, right? In game two and game six, he actually uh, holds the Cardinals to seven or to one run and six hits in both games, pitching seven innings both times. Uh, and just overpowered the Cardinals lineup that featured prime Albert Pujols, who is a, just one of the most incredible hitters of all time. Like now we like to, I feel like people kind of disrespect him and joke around because he's just, you know, this big no, if, you know, veteran. If, but if you remember prime Pujols, you do not forget prime Pujols. You can't. There's no terrifying. way. He was terrifying. a phenomenal talent and is still in the Hall of Fame to this day. Uh, you just don't forget how good and yeah. what fear this guy struck into pitchers and to other teams. Yeah, people people like to kind of joke about him now because he's essentially just a designated hitter, you know, a platoon bat, uh, you know. But like, that's it's uh, that's like making fun of that. Long. Yeah, that's like making fun of Maze when he's on the Mets. It's not the exactly. same. Exactly. Um, now I it's, I figure you know the answer to this question, but I'm gonna ask I think. it anyway. Uh, so this was 2005. They played this series. Uh, now one player from the series is still active. Uh, mm. Who is it? I, I keep going back and forth. Is it? And I think this might be wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway. Is it Wainwright? Nope. It's it's not guy. Molina, is it? It is Yadier Molina. It is. It's one of the two. Molina. Okay. Yadier Molina, who is has been playing baseball since you know, for, for since 1920. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he caught in this, uh, series, uh, all the way back in, uh, 2005 over a decade ago. Uh, so Roy, Dom- wait, 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 what was that <laughs> over a decade ago? 2005. It's, yeah. You're right. I mean, I guess it's more than that. It's like what? Two decades ago. It's, it's not yet two decades ago. It's, you know, 15 years ago is I guess more accurate. <laughs> 2022 now i'm not gonna explain. i was i was i was accurate maybe i wasn't as accurate as i could have been good um anyway but uh so so long story short roy dominates he he knocks him down in game two knocks him down in game six uh ends up winning the nlcs mvp and the astros secure the pennant but more importantly i mean roy i'm sure he was thrilled to win the the you know the mvp award mm-hmm. but that wasn't what he was most excited to win Yes. So before the pivotal, uh, before the pivotal game six matchup, uh, the Astros owner at the time, Drayton McLean, uh, he visited his pitcher, his star pitcher in the clubhouse, and he says, "Win the game, and you'll get that all-purpose tractor you've always wanted." Now, this dates back to uh, one of their first interactions between the pitcher and the team owner, uh, and the way McLean tells it is, he says, "You know, each year with our players." I asked them what their goals are. And I said, Roy, what is one of your goals? And he took a second. And he said to own a bulldozer. <laughs> so I'll, 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 just to back up there, uh, he said the owner said to Roy before the game, you know, win and you'll get the tractor you wanted. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're on the same page. So, so Roy's not really, pit- I mean, obviously, yes, he's a competitor. He's pitching to win the game. But I think that that there was a significant part of him that just really, really wanted that. Oh, yeah. Roster. 100%. Um, so he goes in and he reminds him of their deal. And uh, to his credit, he honors the uh, the deal they made. And so Roy goes seven innings. Uh, they win the game. And the owner keeps his promise. So that following Monday, 
Uh, McLean fulfills his part of the bargain, and he presents Roy Oswald with a shiny new Caterpillar uh, D6 and XL. Oh, which, which, as we all know, is top of the line bulldozer equipment right there, the, the <laughs> like, D6N XL. I looked it up. It's like 200 grand uh, in, in, oh, in hey. those days, which is, you know, pretty, I mean, it's very expensive now. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, complete with like the car commercial giant red bow on top of the cab. Uh, and then Oswald, he's like, ah, yeah, it's a pretty good gift for, gift for Christmas uh, for sure. Um, and he said, you know, it's a dozer I can do anything with. And this is just such a funny line to me. And he said, there are going to be a lot of jealous people around where I live. I'm going to try and hire out and make a little money in the off season. <laughs> like bulldozer. Just, a, just a real salt of the earth guy that Rory Oswald, you know? Like he's he is the like nineteen seventeen like pitcher where in the off season he oh, goes and like works on his hundred percent like, like yeah and and, and he'll take his ox and his plow over to the neighboring site and plow their fields for an additional penny yeah this is Rory Oswalt's this is why we called it uh, what what did he call it a the uh, time. a pitcher out yeah. of time <laughs> exactly yeah so he gets his bulldozer the Astros uh, would go on to get swept in the World Series by the Chicago White Sox. <laughs> Oh no! Anyways, uh, the White Sox won the World Series. Sorry, ESPN, jo- oh, ESPN yeah. joke. Okay, I, I'm with you. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Oswald, uh, to his credit, I mean, not like he wasn't getting recognition in you know those first few years, but it really started to dial up a little bit from 2005 yeah. to 2007. Finally, makes three All Star teams. I don't know what the deal was where he wasn't making them before then when he was late in the league on five. Like, how do you have a seven war season and not make the All Star team? So that was 2002. He had the seven world season. Yeah, there were there were a, a couple of good pitchers hanging out around then. He was yeah. in the sophomore year. Randy. So I'm, popular vote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he actually led the National League in earned run average in 2006 with a 293 mark, which is very impressive. However, in yeah. 2007, pain in his left side caused him mm. to uh, be shut down early. But he still finished with a very, very good uh, 318 ERA in just over 200 which innings. i want to, i want to point out i believe 212 innings pitch that would would that lead the league in 2021 yeah probably that would that would definitely be a i i think that would definitely be a top three to yeah. five side and, and he was shut down early off that yeah yeah i i think he'd definitely be a top three contender for the cy young if that happened this year um so you know he he's hurt in 2007 not as good in 2008 or 2009. He actually posted a 412 ERA uh, yeah. in 09. Perfectly league average that year, but it's not the Royals' Walt that everyone's mm-hmm. expecting. Uh, so then he actually gets traded to Philadelphia to the Phillies in 2010. And this is where he teams up with Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, and Cole Hamels. Oh my goodness. He was the fourth starter in that. Yeah, and, and that rotation that's phenomenal even though it, it is an end of the line they'll get towards the end royals vault any royals vault you take any rotation and that's well, that is this is when the phillies were like on the verge of becoming a dynasty this is so the phillies just for context the phillies won the world series in 2008 uh they lost in 2009 and so 2010 uh they're like we need more pitching so they go out and they have they have these four guys holiday lee hamels and oswalt and then joe blanton was the fifth Beatle. Mm-hmm. uh the less we can say about him the better um <laughs> and and that that has to be just in terms of you know my lifetime the most formidable rotation I think I've ever seen at least like top three like I, I in like the the weights of the names hands think, down that rotation yeah. took it 
I'm sure you know somebody's listening. Like, yeah, there know. there have been others that have performed better, but as far as the weights of the names and the prestige behind them, yeah. like, the, like I, I remember this happening and thinking this team is going to be a dime. Like, this is phenomenal. I, I can't but, believe they didn't get a get another ring with this rotation. Yeah, that's that's what I was going. How many rings did they win after that? Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, but uh, so different like, different story. Different story. We'll talk about. I think we could totally do an episode about those Phillies. If nothing else, uh, then I get a chance to talk about my boy Chase. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Brandon just rolled his eyes into the oh, I still watching. can't see. He, it's black. Wow. I wish we were back on video for this one. Anyway, uh, Oswalt was actually a monster as soon as he gets to Philadelphia in 2010. Uh, you know, despite a relatively slower start to the year in Houston. Uh, he goes seven and one with the Phillies down the stretch. One seventy four ERA, a two thirty four uh, weighted earned average, so a hundred and thirty four percent better than the average pitcher. If you want to just go by the, you know, sure, yeah, um, you know. So Philadelphia did not make it back to the World Series that year, uh, and you know after they made it in 08 and oh nine, that was uh, the Cardinals' uh, time in in 20, 2011, I think. Uh, and so then uh, he ends up 2012 and 2013. He's really declining hard. Uh, he only pitched a total of 91.1 innings for uh, the Rangers and for the Colorado Rockies uh, before retiring. Um, but at the end of his career, he pitched 13 seasons, had a one one you know 163 games against 102 losses, 3.36 ERA, mm-hmm. 27 ERA plus, and uh, 1,852 strikeouts. Uh, so very impressive career. Uh, Brandon mentioned it before the episode. First ballot hall of very good. Uh, I, you know, I think you could make an argument for him to be I, Hall of Fame. I, I could and I will. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't even really be that against it because you know, just, I think his uh, like his peak years were phenomenal. It's Hall of Fame worthy, especially yeah. given the era that he was in. Throw Roy in. I love him. Sure. Um, so, uh, very, very impressive. And today Roy is, uh, back living, uh, just outside of his hometown, uh, in Weir, Mississippi on about a thousand acre ranch. Excellent. Uh, and so then just to close out his career, I, I, I did see, he has this great quote and he says, you know, some people play for a chance to get into the hall of fame. I'm playing for the competition of it. And that's, that's just awesome. You know, I love it. That's just who that kind of sums up who he was as a competitor and as a pitcher in a lot of ways. And um, before we leave Rory Oswald, yes, he's one of my favorite non-hometown players out there. Uh, But I have a related pickoff trivia for you, Noah. This is is not in the outline. He doesn't know what's about to come. He hasn't prepared. Okay. So this is kind of an odd one. Uh, Which former teammate of Rory Oswald's played backup to Peyton Manning in a University of Tennessee quarterback. Wow, that is a- right. <laughs> this is trivia for trivia's sake. I gotta uh, say, I did not expect Peyton Manning to come up during this episode. But you you never expect it. Peyton Manning, yeah. <laughs> um, um I, okay. I will say it was in the final year of his career he played with him. Okay, so with the Rockies, yeah. Todd Helton. Todd Helton played backup right. to Peyton Manning. Yeah. Wow. You got it, man. You nailed it. In the dark. <laughs> wow. I just figured Todd well, Helton seemed like, you know. Like the kind of guy that yeah. would play backup quarterback to Peyton Manning? Yeah. yeah. 
Wow, I'm, I'm going to be riding that high for the rest of the episode. Well, because you have another high you got to talk about. Before we jump in, um, we're going long in this episode, folks. Okay. Uh, before we jump into the pickle jar and the ad break and the day the spitter died, you had the moments with like your favorite player of all time. I mean, I love him, but you know, Kershaw is Kershaw. Oh, and, uh, one of your favorite players, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I uh, yeah. Just before we move on, but uh, Mookie Betts uh, shouted me out the other day on on his YouTube channel. <laughs> pretty uh, pretty wild. I was actually I, I still might uh, take that audio and and put it in into the do it or something. It'd be funny, but uh, yeah, it was just uh, he just had like a Q and A on his Twitter because he's launching his his new like gaming channel. Uh, and I asked him if he'd ever bowled a perfect game on Wii Bowling because, you know, for those of you who don't know, he's a multi-talented athlete. I, I, I love I, I love that here Noah is with this repertoire of 120 years of baseball history knowledge and all these stats. And, t- and he asks Mookie Betts, you ever bowl a perfect game okay, in Wii okay. Bowling? In my, defense, <laughs> in my defense, I know that's a dumb question. However, but it were, it, it's, it's not a dumb question. Have, have you... He asked for gaming questions. I would have asked yeah. him. Yeah, you know, in retrospect, if you know he's gonna, yeah, I would have asked him eight hundred other questions before that. But <sighs> no, no, like that's that's questions. if if I'm talking to Mookie Betts, that's one of the top five questions I ask him. He's bowled three hundred in real life. I think twice at least. He's yeah, done it a lot. <laughs> and we bowling is difficult. So yeah, ask that man. He's yeah. played it before. But uh, yeah, it was uh, for his, his gaming channel that he, he just launched. But uh, yeah, his answer uh, was no. He's bowled a 298, which would be enough for Ooh, me to throw Scrub. The, just would, put him back would, down to the minors. If I bowled a 298 in Wii Bowling, I would send my, my controller into the wall. Because that's that's got to be the most frustrating experience with the little knees like, spinning around. But, uh, but yeah, that was very from, cool to uh, see. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Very surreal hearing Mookie Betts say her name. Um, hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show but very, very cool of him. Uh, oh, I yeah, I, I have something similar, which we can talk about in a different episode. Okay. Sure. Okay. okay, but uh we will be back with a uh, brand new pickle jar after a short word from our sponsors. Boom, 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 fade. All right, and we are back with all of all of the acapella, all the beats. Oh, I know. That's going to be in. Um, so so I brought my A game. <laughs> with another edition of the Pickle Jar. Uh, here on Short Hops and Tall Tales. And I'm very excited for this uh, this word. Uh, Brandon, what are, we, what are we talking about here? So this week in the Pickle Jar, we have probably one of our favorite words in baseball. The Ephus. 
Um, the Ephus. Of course, if you're a fan of this podcast, you're most likely a fan of people like Zach Greinke, for example, and you're well familiar with the Ephus. Uh, but some people not acquainted with the legendary player of Zach Greinke may not know what Ephus means. Um, so I asked our good friend Courtney, what is an Ephus? And she goes, and I love this answer, a, is it a godlike play or a player doing something wild? I love that. Which, yes, it is a godlike play <laughs> and a player In doing a something wild. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so what is an Ephus pitch, uh, Noah? Well, uh, I just first like to say, uh, nice that Courtney's back. Been a, been a little while since. I know it's been a while. I feel kind of guilty about it, and I figured, <laughs> come, come back, Courtney. I miss you. Yeah, but uh, the Ephus, besides having per- perhaps one of the most fun, like being one of the most fun terms to say, Ephus. Uh, so it's a it's an obnoxiously hard, high arcing super slow pitch. Uh, Vin mm-hmm. Scully used to call uh, there's a pitcher for the Dodgers in the 2000s. His name was uh, Vincente Padilla, who would throw an Ephus, and Vin Scully would call it uh, the soap bubble pitch because that's kind of what it oh, looks the soap like. bubble. That's yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it's it's just a little bloop, you know, and it's it's kind of like a like almost like trying to hit a slow pitch softball but overhand. And, and right after seeing a 92 mile per hour pitch. Right. Right. Like it just so, completely throws you off. Yeah, it's it's the whole deal is with an Ephus, the batter it's a it's a deception pitch. So the, the batter's geared up for that that heater and then you just throw the little wiffle ball in there and then Perfect. they look lost. Perfect. Uh, and, and so the origin of Ephus, I, I had no idea what to expect looking into the origin here. Uh so the term kind of possibly comes from uh, the Pittsburgh Pirate outfielder Maurice von Rabes. In the 1940s. Uh, so his teammate, who was a pitcher, Rip Sewell, uh, likely resurrected the pitch uh, in the 1943 season. So it was probably used in the 1900s, uh, went away for a couple decades, and Sewell found it again in 43. And Sewell claimed that his teammate, uh, Von Rabes, uh, called the pitch an Ephus. And Sewell, having no idea what an Ephus was, asked. And uh, Von Rabes said, Ephus ain't nothing. And that's what the pitch is. Nothing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's almost like Nothing. a special page quote there. That's you know, kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Kind of, kind of oh, and, and this 12th pitch, my Ephus pitch, it ain't nothing, but I'll throw it. Yeah, it makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah. Um, there are some other ideas of where it came from, came from, including the Hebrew language, but that's really, it's, it ain't nothing is where it came from. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, there, and there were a bunch of a bunch. There were a few other meetings before 1943, like it was a spectacular pitch or things like that. But 43 is when the Ephus, as we know it today, really came in to its itself and stuck to baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I I'm a huge fan, and you know this, Brandon, just of all of those trick pitches where you you don't you know because you don't need to be throwing 100 miles an hour to be successful. Oh no. Uh, and no. Uh, it's uh. I think you're about to tell us about another uh very deceptive. Oh, uh, I, I I saw that segue from 100 miles away, and I was so proud of you. <laughs> so this is the uh, the titled "The Day the Spitter Died," which. Whatever. Uh, so, February... <laughs> it is February 10th, 1920, a day which will live in infamy. This was the day that the famous spitball was banned by the major leagues. Mostly banned by the major leagues. We'll, 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 we'll get into that. 
Uh, so the spitter, uh, which was also known as the mud ball, the emery ball, the resin ball, shine ball, and moist ball, and my personal favorite, the vapor floats. <laughs> um, the moist ball. The moist ball. The vapor floats. Vapor floats. The resin ball. That's pretty right? sweet. I, vapor float sounds like a like a like a nineties like band. <laughs> You're kind of right. The vapor float. I'm into that. Like like them and Eve Six have a great concert yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, uh, the spitter it was introduced sometime in the early 1900s, probably 1902, and the pitch was kind of seen as a way to improve pitching across the league and extend the pitcher's career. So it's like the equivalent of the designated hitter. You know, it improves all offense and extends their careers. Um, for most pitchers, it was, you know, just one pitch in their arsenal, uh, but a few of them relied on it almost exclusively as they pitched. And we'll get into them in a moment. Uh, but to kind of take it back for a moment, if you're one of the unfortunate souls who doesn't know what spitball is, I will explain. And then I will also have Noah give you the sounds that would accompany it. <laughs> I was so not ready for this, but I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> all right. So first of all, you take the ball between your index and middle finger and spit. What's that sound like? Perfect. <laughs> and then at that point, you coat either just part of the ball that your fingers make contact with in saliva um, or yeah, or you apply fresh tobacco-stained saliva liberally around the ball. That's where What's I that sound like? That is oh, that's it. That the tobacco stains the sound. I'll do the sound. I'll do the sound. But that I just fundamentally dis- like that's so gross. <laughs> throwing a, a tobacco ball. Uh, well, I need you got to pack it right. So you got to have something to like slap it. There you go. Oh no no no! This is already the dip. We're going oh, too far oh, down the rabbit oh, hole. Okay. Um, so anyway, so it's mostly saliva, but yes, there's also the possibility of introducing another foreign substance like resin or Vaseline. Uh, but that's not as fun as the saliva. Sure. So, so in any case, the substance between the fingers and the ball, uh, what it actually does physically is decreases the friction at the point of contact. And so what that will do as the pitcher releases it is that it changes the influence of the aerodynamic properties of the ball in a variety of ways, depending on where the spit is at and how much is applied. But the end result is kind of the same. The ball is not going to act the way anybody can anticipate. So a curveball, you can kind of see the white dot, you know where it's going. You see the slider, you know where it's going. But the spitter, you can you can read the, read the seams, but you don't know what's going to happen. So like if you if it's a, a traditional break, it's going to be sharper. Maybe a new break can appear in the pitch. It's completely random. So it's been called like a knuckleball with the speed of a fastball. Which sounds fantastic. I would love to see a 90 mile per hour knuckleball. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it was. And so at this time in the 20s and 10s, there were dozens and dozens of pitchers openly using the spitter to their advantage because it was perfectly legal. And one particular guy had his Cooperstown ticket written in spit. <laughs> Ed Walsh. Now, I know you may be reading ahead, but do you know what Ed Walsh is famous for? Um, I, I don't, to be honest with you. All right. All right. So we'll take it. So, okay. I I respect that because I definitely do when you read. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Ed Walsh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, of the Chicago White Sox, he won 195 games in his career and had a fantastic 146 ERA plus in his entire career. 
So again, in theory, that means he was 46% better than the average pitcher, which there's some give and take there, but sure. Yeah. Um, he even goes on to finish a second in the MVP voting twice. Um, he lost once to Tris Speaker and the other time to Ty Cobb. So this is a fantastic pitcher we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but most importantly, he holds the lowest ERA in Major League Baseball history for his career. Wow. So in his career, 1.82 ERA. That is... Best all time. It is. And my other fun fact about him is that he holds a career whip, so walks and hits per innings pitch, of exactly to the decimal 1.000. Which, which makes me happy. It's very satisfying. It really is. But yeah, that 1.82, I that's amazing. For a it's career that, that lasted never being broken. 18 years. Yeah. Um, 18 years? He, he pitched for a long time, man. Um, I think on the active, sorry, not in the, in the last, like, let's call it 15 years, I think R- Mariana Rivera is closest to him. Uh, but Walsh was a starter as yeah, well. Yeah. So it's a completely is, different ballgame. And, and, and this is a time where these guys were throwing like 300 innings too. Oh, 400 innings. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Uh, and, and and Walsh said that the spitball, you know, I don't know if I can get along without it. So he, he knew that was his main and primary pitch and it was legal. So absolutely throw it. Now, now my question before we move on is how did his catcher feel about this? Like, like oh, catcher, catchers, catchers hated it. Because this must be the most disgusting thing in the world. Like, it's one thing if you, you're, like, holding your own spit, which is still gross well, to me. But, that, like, the catcher, one, you've got to catch the thing, which is moving just it, un, completely unpredictably. But, mm-hmm. two, then you pick it up and it's wet with another guy's tobacco. Yeah, juice. so remember, well, was it, oh, uh, what Bob Uecker said to the knuckleball? Remember that quote? Right. Yes. Yeah, so he, he said the best way to catch a knuckleball is to wait for the stop rolling and pick it up. Uh, so same thing with the spitter, but now you pick it up and it's wet. Like, and you ew. dry it off, yeah. Yeah, and, and so not only that, the, the catchers had a difficult time catching it because it moved and it was wet. But when it was hit, I don't know if this is just conjuncture or what, but according to people like uh, Connie Mack, who was interviewed for a couple times, said, you know, when the ball is hit out in the infield – and with a spitter on the mound, more often than not, it's an error because the fielder can't oh, yeah. field it cleanly and throw it. Um, I have no idea if that's true or if that's just Connie Mack yeah. talking I mean, about spitters. It makes sense. Uh, yeah, know, so um, it, I, I get that. And this is this is also when when influenza's like going around for the first time, right? Like this is you're throwing yeah, a 19, biological weapon up there. The ni- ni- nineteen eighteen. Yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah. There. Which, which, by the way, uh, the nineteen eighteen baseball season is something else to look into. That'll be a okay. different episode, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll call it a lot of fun for the moment. We've, we've looked into nineteen nineteen, so it, it makes sense. Yeah, we'll just do a year before and talk about World War One and baseball. That'd be great. Um, but in any case, going back to the spitter here, so it was allowed for 18, 20 years up through the 1920 season. And so that's when the commissioner said, or that's when baseball said, nope, spitter cannot be allowed. Uh, but it was allowed through 1920. Uh, but any player that was not listed as a spitballer prior to that season could not use it from 21 onward. So if you were just some dude thinking, okay, I'm going to throw a spitter, but it's 1920, you can't do it anymore. Right. But if you're like our buddy Ed Walsh, who may have been pitching at the time, he wasn't. But if he was, he could have been pitching the spitball until he retired. 
Can you imagine like the hitters at this time, like when he when Ed Walsh is finally retired and the spitter's gone? They're like, finally, man, geez. <laughs> oh man, the so the uh latest spitballer that was grandfathered in, his name was Burley Grimes. Right. He lasted until nineteen thirty-four. Wow. So fourteen years after it was banned, he was still out there spitballing the way. Um but let's quickly go back to nineteen twenty, the year it was absolutely banned from baseball. Uh now Kind of thinking out loud here, what else happened in 1920? You had kind of Babe Ruth kind of on the scene. You had the transition between eras. Oh, that's right. You had the end of the dead ball era and the introduction of the new jumpier balls enter the live ball era. So the new ball and the desire for more offense coincided with the abolition of the spitball which means it was a conspiracy to drive the offense in baseball, banning the spitball and bringing in the new live ball. Now, I, I fundamentally, the Major League Baseball would never, never do something shady. Of course not, Noah. Uh, of course, environment. of course, baseball, of course, baseball would never do something shady to introduce more offense into the league. Never happened. <laughs> uh, so this was one of the first three times. Ta- Three times, I'll say, that they did just that. Right. <laughs> so, of course, you can go way back to 1975 when they said, no more underhand, guys. Let's go overhands. 18, 1875? I think it was 75. It may have been 76. But okay. Something like that. Yeah. But but in any case, that you know, that's what happened. They banned the spitball. They banned the dead ball. And offense just ballooned throughout the league. And as, as much as we say, yeah, the, if you spit on the ball, if you have the stuff on the ball, which if memory serves was kind of an issue fairly recently, having foreign substance on the ball <laughs> to increase some kind of spin rate. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have as good as commands. So you, the safety is thrown into an issue. Uh, but going through all these newspapers and articles, I don't think that was really an issue at all. The bigger issue. Uh, was newspapers claiming that it negated, the spitball negated, the pitcher versus batter narrative, uh, where they both had to use the brains to outsmart the other. Uh, but then the spitter introduced blind luck into the equation. Yeah. I mean. So like that, that was that was the kind of the thought at the time. And one of my favorite things about the papers is that almost every paper I saw had a moment where they talked about the spitball as being far too crude for an American audience. And so this is one of my favorite quotes. Persons of refinement shudder when they see it and turn away. Women have been known to become ill at the sight. I can't blame them. It sounds absolutely foul. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, our audience, our listeners just got a glimpse of that when you so... Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just, just obnoxiously threw spit in your hands and rubbed the ball with the saliva. That. I did no such thing. There are no tapes saying I did. Uh, but in any case, um, so yes, it was banned 1920. Uh, they could use it through 1921. And then pitchers were grandfathered in, like Burley Grimes, whom we talked about. And actually for three years, for 27 through 29, he had MVP caliber years. Like he was in the top five, top 10 voting of those years, MVP. Uh, thanks to a bit of saliva. <laughs> so it was banned after Grimes left. Uh, but pitchers are, are a crafty sort. And so the spitball, yes, it didn't live long in history books before other pitchers took the mantle and began maybe doctoring the balls a little bit. 
And so just a couple pitchers that have admitted to throwing the vapor floater um, include Don Drysdale, Gaylord Perry, and Joe Negro. And that is the end of the list for sure. No one else has ever thrown the spitball since then. Well, there's actually a uh, kind of a, an interesting aside from Don Drysdale. So something he was kind of infamous for was, you know, he'd throw a pitch and then he would go and rub his hands through his through his hair. Oh, right? absolutely. And, you know, it, it, at that point, you know, he was his hair had a ton of Vaseline in it. It's just because it was slicked back. And yeah. so a lot of a lot of paper or a lot of, you know, researchers are like yeah you know in retrospect he was probably you know unintentionally throwing a vaseline ball which i'm saying there's no way that's unintentional whatsoever. no he <laughs> like, he he admitted he it knew what he was doing yeah exactly like you know, and like, yeah and i think it was gaylord perry's autobiography was titled like me and the spitter yeah yeah he got <laughs> a, a bit of trouble for that actually i think if i if i remember correctly yeah yeah uh, um, but, but to kind of wrap it all up here, um, in the 60s, so, you know, four decades after the spitball was banned, Bob Gibson, Hall of Famer, he threw it. Bob Gibson said, uh, rules or no rules, pitchers are going to throw spitters. It's a matter of survival. So, yeah, the pitch was banned, but pitchers are going to find a way, one way or the other, to try to get an extra little break on the ball. Yeah. I mean, last week we talked about a batter that was trying to use cork in his bat to hit the farther. So, of course, pitchers are going to do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. And and to that point, too, uh, you know, it's if you haven't checked out last week's episode, uh, we highly encourage you do not only because, you know, we want you to listen to it, but also because it's uh, our only episode that's uh, up on YouTube. Yeah. with uh, A full visual accompaniment as part of the uh, pitcherless pitch con. Yeah. And uh, that, folks, is what we call a big league segue. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, that was—I—I I mean, if I—if I could kind of like uh, say so myself, that was a really fun episode. At least you know that, yeah. this is one of the ones where I didn't really want it to end. <laughs> you know, I was—I was having so much fun. That tends to happen. I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, anyway, if you uh, liked all of that chaos, please be sure to follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at Short Hops PL. Uh, follow Brandon at BD Riddle. Uh, he posts a ton of really interesting newspaper clippings that get me really excited for each episode. <laughs> it's it's like a teaser, and and it's like every time I'm like I have no idea what this is. <laughs> well, they're just such weird headlines and ads and quotes that occurred in 1906. So yeah. yeah, I'm gonna take snapshots of those. Yeah, please please keep doing it. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Noah Scott Six. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review to help us reach uh, new listeners. Uh, sure. like, like I said, uh, check out Short Hops 34 on YouTube. It's a whole lot of fun. We've got some some good sketches in there, a lot of good diagrams. Literal diagrams and sketches made in crayon. I strongly suggest checking it out. Nick, Nick, what? Nick like raffled off that. that yeah. Do we know who won that? I, what I poor somebody, soul won? I know somebody won it, but I haven't gotten any info to send it out yet. But uh, if you're okay. listening to this episode, it's it's coming as soon as I find out where you live. <laughs> um, anyway, also check out Pitcherless 7.0. It launched today. It's really, really yeah. cool. Uh, I haven't gotten a whole lot of time to play with it yet, uh, but I will be doing it uh, yeah. immediately or, this, this episode. Yeah, or if you're in my fantasy league, don't check it out. <laughs> yeah, don't. That goes for, for, for my people, too. You know who you are. Uh, stay away. 
but uh, for Brandon Riddle, I'm Noah Scott, and this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. See you next time. <laughs>